Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Millennial in the Middle. I'm Connor DeLynn. Thanks for listening. Today's episode is titled Your Average Joe. And I think that phrase right there really sums up to me the Joe Biden candidacy and what I expect to see from the Joe Biden presidency. We've had a president, a new president for a week now. And to my doomsdayers out there, the world's not over. We carry on. The United States still exists. And what I want to talk about today is my reaction to the inauguration, basically what I think we can expect from Joe Biden's administration and his presidency. We're going to talk a little about what it means, the 50-50 tie in the Senate and what that might look like moving forward. And then I'm just going to give some advice to those of you that uh, may be the doomsdayers, like I just said, to uh, hopefully let us feel like we're finding that place back in the middle and after a crazy election cycle and all of this that we can pick up, move on, life goes on, everything's going to be okay. So let's first start with the inauguration. You know, it was funny because there was all this talk of what would this inauguration look like? Would there be an insurrection again? Would there be just a major violent overthrow of the government? Well, I think with all of the hype and all of the things that we maybe anticipated to see, for those of you that did tune in and watch the inauguration, you found that once it got started, it was just like every other inauguration. Now, granted, there weren't spectators or a crowd there like we're used to seeing. Uh, Donald, you can hang your hat on the fact that you had more of a crowd there than Joe Biden. You're the winner. Um, But once it got started, things were okay. Granted, there were a few more military there than we were used to, and maybe some of those scenes looked a little eerie to see. But life goes on. And to me, I really liked Joe Biden's speech. I think since election night in his acceptance speech on election night, kind of being the presumptive winner, um, and then the speech he gave a few days after when they, when him and Kamala Harris were uh, basically the projected winners of the campaign, I think that the Biden campaign has said all of the right things. That what they're trying to do and what they're saying is the right things. Just to give you a few quotes from the speech that I think actually really match up and align well with the whole goal of this podcast. Joe Biden said this, this is a great nation and we are good people. I believe that. I hope you believe that. He went on to say, over the centuries, through storm and strife, in peace and in war, we have, some, we have come so far, but we still have so far to go. To overcome these challenges, to restore the soul and to secure the future of America requires more than just words. It requires that a most elusive of things in a democracy, unity. And he spoke a lot about unity and he used that word over and over. He talked about now being the time to rise above, uh, you know, the partisan politics. And he went on to say, history, faith and reason show the way the way of unity. We can see each other not as adversaries, but as neighbors. We can treat each other with dignity and respect. We can join forces, stop the shouting, and lower the temperature. 
this lower the temperature theme is a thing that we have talked about and that the and that Joe Biden has talked about really uh, the entire election. And I do think there is a major need in our country right now for all of us to step back, take a deep breath, and listen to each other more. Now, with that said, I do have a really hard time, and here's the millennial in the middle approach calling out a bit of hypocrisy here, of one party acting like the other party is responsible for all of the hatred, all of the anger, all of the divisiveness. To me, when the left talks about the right is they are the reason that the temperature is so high, to me that only furthers the divide. I think all of us are mature enough and can recognize that the reason the temperature is so hot in America is not because of one party. It's because of both parties. It's because of the political climate that we have been forced to live in. And I have a hard time now just seeing that the left is totally not responsible or they're totally innocent in the reason that we do have a heated political debate in our country right now. It is easy to say, why can't we all just get along when you're the one in power? Four years ago, look back to when Donald Trump got inaugurated and think of the hatred and vitriol and anger that surrounded Donald Trump being made the president. Think about things that were okay, that were being said on the late night shows, on the news, by comedians. Think about Robert De Niro standing up at a nationally televised awards ceremony and saying, F Trump. The president of the United States, current sitting president of the United States, having the whole crowd laugh and chant, F Trump. I'm sorry, but that party, that group can't then turn around months later and say, why can't we all just get along? Why can't we all just love each other? There has to be accountability and responsibility taken for the position that we're at in our country right now by both sides. And while I love what Joe Biden is saying, while I agree with it, while those words are inspiring, I love that he says, this is a great nation. We are good people. We've come so far, but we have a long way to go. That he says, we need unity and history, faith, reason. They'll show us that we're not adversaries. We're neighbors. Let's treat each other with dignity and respect. It's saying all the right things, but I sure would have loved to have seen a bit of accountability taken to for both sides, having a bit of responsibility for where we have gotten to as a nation, but I know that is wishful thinking and that's never really going to happen. Um, a fan of the show, uh, and she's a conservative, so obviously this is uh, going to be biased in the way I said this, but she sent a message to me after I put up the Instagram comment of, you know, just what were your thoughts on the inauguration that I thought was really interesting. And she said, Trump said all the wrong things and did all the right things. I hope Biden isn't the exact opposite. And I thought that was funny. Now, obviously, that has a conservative bias because, you know, those that are on the left do definitely don't feel that Trump did all the right things. But I really hope that we can see as a nation that Biden doesn't just 
say these things, but that there's some actions to back up all the right things that are being said right now. And hopefully the more accountability that is taken, I think the more realistic it is for us to actually come together as a people and lower the divide. And Joe Biden, now that you're in power, when the left buys into anger, vitriol, hatred, call them out. There's no place for it. And I realize that that change is starting to happen and it's easier to happen when it's in when you're in power. And it'll be interesting to see what moves on as we go through that. So just a little thought that I had to get some thoughts off my head there as far as that goes. But I thought the inauguration went very well. And to me, I was just reminded that Joe Biden really was not a risk. He is your average Joe. He's just a little bit older than most other white guys that have been made president of the United States. And there really wasn't anything that spectacular or significant that went on. But I think what we saw there at the inauguration is the reason that Joe Biden was made the nominee for the Democratic Party and the reason that they won. Because at the end of the day, he is your average Joe. There isn't anything too scary or too shocking about him. He talks like a Midwestern guy from Delaware, born in Scranton, Pennsylvania, that's going to talk to the heart of America and going to give you his little quotes from his grandma and grandpa. And there's something that feels familiar about that. And the Democrats' strategy to have that lead the ticket felt safe enough that it was able to overcome Donald Trump. I've said before on this show that I didn't think uh, Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg, any of the other uh, front runners that you really saw on the Democratic uh, fighting for the Democratic ticket, I didn't think any of them would have what it takes to get to that point of uh, beating Donald Trump. But I feel like it took an average Joe to take down the all but average, all but normal Donald Trump. So what will a Biden presidency look like? What are the things that he is prioritizing? If you listen to the speech, the inauguration, you know there are some matters at the top of Joe Biden's priority list. If you were to listen to that, you would see that obviously the coronavirus and the pandemic recovering from that and the economic uh, the economic results and impact that that's had obviously tops the list. Uh, second, I think you'd see a lot with racial justice and how we can try to have more equality in this country, that institutional bias and institutional racism, there will be steps taken to actively fight against that. Uh, Climate change is something you've heard a lot about that they're making a big part of their platform. Um, And what's interesting is that Biden's first week as president looked a lot different than a lot of other presidents first week in office. President Biden signed a record 37 executive actions in his first week in office. Um, And that number's not exact because the Federal Register doesn't update every piece of this at the exact time. But with six days days under his belt in office, Biden issued more edicts than any of his other predecessors in the first week. 
Now, most of those executive actions, uh, there is a difference between an executive action and an executive order. An executive action is more just like, you know, the president saying to the country, this is our intent and speaking to lawmakers if we need to focus on this more of a goal or a task where an executive order is a law that is being passed unilaterally by the president. Now, I struggle with executive orders because we've set up a government purposely that has checks and balances. We've set up a government purposely that moves slow. And I have a hard time with this trend we are seeing in our nation currently of more and more executive orders. And if you look at the things that Joe Biden's executive actions and executive orders were about in his first few days, while there were definitely things for coronavirus and racial justice and climate change, a lot of it was just taking down things that his predecessor, Donald Trump, had set up. The travel ban, um, building the wall. We're going to stop building the wall today is the executive order. And... um, Oh, I'm losing the other one. Oh, and entering back into the Paris climate change. It's interesting that we allow these situations to where a president can come in and just, hey, on the first day, make executive actions to undo things that have been done over time uh, by the president before them. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. Executive actions should be a bit concerning. If you want a really good perspective on executive orders and executive actions, I recommend you go watch the movie Vice. Um, The movie Vice is about the life of uh, Vice President Dick Cheney, who was George W. Bush's um, vice president. Kind of goes through Donald Rumsfeld, George W. Bush. It's it's a great movie. Um, It's done by the same people who did The Big Short. Uh, If you haven't seen The Big Short, go see that as well. Uh, It's with Brad Pitt, Steve Carell, Ryan Gosling about the uh, financial or the real estate bubble bursting and bad mortgages and debt. And it's amazing how it teaches those concepts of some people that saw the writing on the wall and saw that coming before it actually happened. Anyway, the big short, Vice, go watch it. The movie Vice basically talks about how in response to September 11th, in that moment of crisis and panic and a challenging time, that the Bush administration found ways to put laws in order and take actions that they wouldn't have been able to get past or to do in a regular peaceful time of life. But they were able to do it because the nation's tensions were heightened because of 9-11, and it led to some questionable decisions. The problem then is that when we make these exceptions to the rule— in extreme times, it makes it a lot easier to make exceptions to the rule in times that aren't quite as extreme. And the more we take actions like that, it's easier and easier for us to justify it moving forward. There is a reason why we have three branches of government. I believe in our constitution. I believe in what our founders and framers set up. And there's a reason why we're still here 
after 250 years with the same form of government. And to me, that can be troubling when the president starts to continually follow this path of more and more executive orders um, and to see, I mean, go look at the executive actions taken by Joe Biden on his first day compared to the last four or five presidents. And it's pretty wild to see um, that trend. Anyway, the other thing I'd talk about, you know, a lot of people wonder when a new president comes in, you know, what affects your bottom line or affects your day-to-day more than anything else. And it's typically taxes. Taxes is the thing that affects your bank account that all of us feel one way or another. So for those of you that have asked me like, oh, are my taxes going to go up because of Joe Biden or what's going to happen? Here has been my answer. I expect from an economic perspective, a Joe Biden administration to look very, very similar to the eight years we had in the Obama administration. Now, I say that because that should give you a feel for what's coming or how those times work, but it also should calm your nerves a little bit because guess what? We survived the Obama administration in the same way we survived the Trump administration. Now, I want to talk for a minute about the Senate. Uh, After the election was completed, we knew that the, you know, in November, we knew that the majority in the Senate was hanging in the balance of the runoff elections that were going to be done in Georgia. And that those two runoff elections in Georgia that basically were so close they needed to go to a revote was going to decide which party controlled power in the Senate. It was 48-50 going into those votes in favor of the Republicans and the Democrats had to steal both of those seats to gain a tie in the Senate, which with Kamala Harris as vice president would give the Democrats the majority in the Senate. You know this, both of those races in Georgia went to the Democrats. And with that, we now have something that creates a pretty precarious situation. We have a 50-50 split in the Senate. Now, um, I've talked about before on the podcast, I think I mentioned it a couple episodes, that I've been collaborating a bit with a political blog called Pot and Kettle Politics. Um, if you haven't looked them up yet, go check out their website or check out their uh, check out their social channels. Uh, the Pot and Kettle comes from basically this mindset of obviously the saying of the pot calling the kettle black, right? Of nonpartisan politics that just kind of go through the facts and let you make the decision. I really like how he, uh, he does that um, with this account. But he wrote a really good article on the 50-50 split in power. And I want to read just a bit of this to kind of give you the facts so you know actually what this means. The 50-50 split in power does not mean the Democratic representatives will be able to pass whatever legislation they desire with no regard to their Republican counterparts. This is because the legislation, this is because of a proposed piece of legislation that essentially needs 60 vote majority in order to avoid being filibustered. A filibuster is a tool used by the Senate minority to avoid voting on a piece of particularly partisan legislation, and it can only be avoided when there is a 60-vote majority. The filibuster does have limitations. 
Uh, but that means that Vice President Alex Harris's tie-breaking vote will only apply to legislation that has an even 50-50 split and can avoid a filibuster. While proposed legislation will now have an easier time getting from the House to the Senate floor, the Senate will more than likely avoid voting on the legislation unless the 60-vote majority is reached, thus uh, negating the need for a vice presidential tiebreaker. So the important thing to note here, just because one side has a majority in the Senate, and in this case, the Democrats have a majority in the House, the Senate, and they own the White House, it still doesn't give them a blank check to do whatever they want and pass whatever they want. I know we all have short-term memory, but when Obama went into power, he had the same majority. And it still took him years to pass his trademark piece of legislation of Obamacare. So I know it's really easy to get extreme and be dramatic in this, that this is going to, you know, just totally change our lives and rock our world. Uh, The fact that one party has the majority in those three places. But like we said, the founders prepared a way for the government to move slowly And we still will see things move slowly, even though there's no doubt Joe Biden will have a much easier time uh, passing legislation. If a Supreme Court nominee needs to be approved or things like that, it'll happen a lot easier. Now, the other thing I want to mention with this, especially because of this tie-breaking vote that Kamala Harris has, I expect that you will see Kamala Harris more visually and more active in our government than maybe any vice president in the history of our country. That's my take right here. Uh, I think you are going to see Kamala Harris everywhere. It would not be surprising to me if you see more televised speeches from her given over the next four years than you do from Joe Biden. Um, I think it's obvious that, you know, Joe Biden is not going to be out in public that much. There's a good excuse of coronavirus to let that happen. But Joe Biden's, I think, public appearances and speeches and live television interviews will be limited. Kamala Harris will be the face of this administration. And I think in a lot of ways, there will be the start of the Kamala Harris campaign starts now to put her in a position where she can become our first woman president in four years. And having this 50-50 tie gives her that much more relevance in the national scene. So don't expect a vice president that you just wonder what they do and did they go to fundraising balls and just never really get any airtime. I think with Kamala Harris, expect to see her a lot. Now, two closing thoughts. First off, to my doomsdayers. I've had so many of you send me messages like, oh, this is it. Uh, our taxes are about to go through the roof. We need to move. Like all my conservative listeners that are very, very passionate. I love the passion. But guess what? Like we're okay. People said the same thing in the 60s during Vietnam and the civil rights movement. People said the same thing during the Cold War. People said the same thing when Donald Trump 
got elected. We joked about this before on the podcast, but remember the list of celebrities that were all going to move out of the United States the minute Donald Trump got elected? Newsflash, none of them moved. They're all still here. Why? Because this is a great nation. And if I'm given the choice of where I want to live in the world, America's going to win every time. And I think we have such a tendency to be so extreme in everything that we do. But I think there's so much value in just taking a step back and realizing politics goes up and down. The economy goes up and down. We have times of peace. We have times of war. We have times of relative like security and safety. And then we have times that are kind of violent and that tensions rise. That's part of life. That's a part of our nation's history. And I truly do believe we'll get through this just like we got through Donald Trump's presidency to all those who thought it was going to be so bad, just like we got through the 60s, just like we got through the 80s, just like the greatest generation that ever lived got through World War II. We can do this. So my doomsdayers, take a deep breath. Life goes on. And to quote episode that we did a long time ago talking about the British during World War II, keep calm and carry on. Number two. I titled this episode, Your Average Joe. And to me, an average Joe might be right now exactly what our nation needs. Maybe just an average president that doesn't rile things up, that doesn't ruffle a lot of feathers, that just brings the tensions and the temperature like we've talked about back to somewhat normalcy could be the best thing we need. It could be the best thing we could possibly have as a nation right now. We don't need a major extreme. We don't need a major shakeup or a revolution. Let's see if we can reset things a little bit in our country. And maybe it's going to take a very average guy to do that. It definitely took an average guy to take down a very unaverage guy in the Donald. Joe is safe and it paid off. So, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Uh, I hope as you approach your conversations and just as you think about politics, that your stress levels can lower a little bit. We're all going to be okay. And as always, we know there's always going to be the clowns and the jokers, but we're going to be stuck in the middle. Clowns to the left me, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. See you next time.